If you're here for the very first time, you are in the middle of our series called Breathe. Um, we started three weeks ago, uh, uh, the first Sunday of, of July, that would be two weeks ago. And we did that first, that first Sunday, we talked about just the need for margin in our lives. We talked about how crammed our lives can get. And sometimes what we need to do is just really take a step back. Um, in that first week, what we talked about was, was weeds. Remember this? We talked about how weeds can tend to choke the life right out of us. Uh, Jesus talked about that in one of his parables of the sower. He said that there were four kinds of soil and one of those soils was um, hard and thorny soil. And so when it fell on the, the ground with thorns, the thorns would grow up and would choke the life right out of, of the seed. Three weeds that we've talked about that we need to look at this month are calendars, cash, and connection. Um, Last week, we would have talked about calendar. We would have talked about your schedules. Um, I've seen some of your calendars. <laughs> they are scary, right? Um, everything, every day has something. But what we did last week instead was we, we practiced what we're preaching. And we put margin in our series about margin. And we talked about just what's going on in the world, some you know, current events. Um, I, I preached a message called In Wrath, Remember Mercy. We talked about um, the need for prayer, the need to, that it's not a waste of time to pray um, but to take time, and even, even that applies to our calendars, doesn't it? It applies. Like sometimes we just need to step back and we say, look, I'm putting time in my calendar just to be with God, to pray. Even that is marching. But what we're going to do is next week when we wrap this up, we'll spend um, the day talking about calendars and connections about schedules and relationships why we need to have margin in those um you will not want to miss next week so here's the deal we're working super hard in the building the plan is next week when we're finished with service here i'll preach a little quicker we'll be done a little sooner and the plan is for all of us to head over into the building we have um like the floor plan taped out on the floor and we're going to take you in the building let you kind of see where you'll be where you'll be standing sitting um serving whenever we get in the building and we'll just end the series in that space um just thanking god for what he's done and and just talking about how margin in our lives even helps with this step but for today today we are talking about your cash and i know that you're super excited I think I just heard somebody say, what cash, right? <laughs> um, so for some of you in the room, um, you think it's crazy for pastors to talk about money. And here's why. You always have enough money for everything that happens in your life. You are always perfectly content when it's time to pay the bills or fix the car or repair the washer. You and your spouse never fight about money. You never struggle with stress at all in the area of money. But for the other 99.9% .9 of us in the room, right, I've got a quick video that I think probably sums up how we feel about the money in our lives. Love me some Indiana Jones, right? So, um, so let me just walk you through how that applies, right? If our finances are Indiana Jones, then that means that the Germans would be like our bills, right? And the end of the month would be that wall that they're quickly approaching. And so somewhere around the 25th of the month, most people are stuck holding onto that strap. Oh God, the end of the month is coming and I am trapped and we're squeezed and there's no margin and we're stressing out and we begin to go, God, if, if something miraculous does not happen, I'm headed to a financial disaster. And that happens for a lot of people every single month. And then when you would least expect it, 
something happens, a miracle, a turn, and suddenly there's margin, there's space, and you're able to jump up on that tank and win the victory against your finances. For most people, most people are already hoping and praying for a miracle in their finances. This is not a surprise. Most people have a simple three-step plan for financial freedom. Step one, go to the convenience store. Step two, buy a lottery ticket. Step three, win the lottery. But the truth of the matter is this, and I want to make sure you hear this. Money problems are rarely ever financial. People think that they are. And that's why almost all of us, if we were honest, would say this. Oh, all of my financial problems would be solved if I only had more money. But the truth of the matter is, if you had more money, you might still have the same financial problems. Which is why, if you're like me, you watch professional athletes file for bankruptcy. And if, I, I just go, how does that happen? Because financial problems, money problems are rarely financial. But I will say this, and this is hard to hear, and I want to make sure that you understand that I understand, okay? A lot of us in the room, you are working hard. You're doing the best that you can. And at the end of the, the month, that money just does not seem to stretch. I, I'm not in any way, shape, or form implying that you don't love Jesus. I'm not implying that you're lazy. I'm just simply saying that money problems are rarely ever financial. But they're almost always spiritual they're almost always spiritual so this morning I want to do my best to help you see how one spiritual decision can be a game changer just one everybody say one and if you're like I don't want to walk out with a list of 12 things to do give me one right one decision that you and I can make that can be the game-changing event that causes that miraculous turn like Indiana Jones. I know, and by the way, the, the game-changing event is not going to be that somebody gets shot in the head, right? Okay. Um, but in that clip, he's just, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. All of a sudden, that one thing happens, the dude falls into the wheel and it turns and he's free. I believe that there's one spiritual decision that we can make, one practical spiritual decision that we can make that can be the game-changer that can turn our finances and put us in a position to win in the area of our finances. And that miracle happens in the margins. And it starts with one decision. And here it is. I know I've got you. You're so excited. You're like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to say it and you're going to be let down. You're going to be let down. I know you are. But here it is. Put God first. That's it. I mean, not, not like, you know, not an infomercial um, I've told the story a number of times about when Wendy and I first got married and we lived in a farmhouse and, you know, all, the floor sloped in the middle and I was a youth pastor and all of our furniture was borrowed and like we had no money. And so I bought the Carlton Sheets, how to buy real estate with no money down because I was up late watching the infomercial and it only cost $199 and they had a 30-day money back guarantee and I knew for a fact that I could sell a house in those 30 days to pay for that. And I did not. Not only did I not do that, I also sent it back on the 31st day and did not get the refund. So I did not get the refund. I was out $200 and we did not buy a house and we still lived in a farmhouse where the floor sloped. There's, the plan is to put God first, not to come up with some magic button that we can push infomercials are on late at night because they know you're tired 
They know late at night you're thinking about all the things that you wish you could do, but you can't. They're thinking about, you're thinking about all the money that you don't have and you wish that you did. And so here comes an infomercial. And what they'll say is, guess what? If you'll make me rich, it probably won't work for you, but you'll make me rich. They don't say that, right? They say, you need this. Forget all the stuff. Don't put God first. Just call this number and you'll have financial freedom. But I believe this. Financial freedom comes from putting God first. And when we do that, you're going to understand today's big idea. I love this big idea, okay? When we put God first, he, make, he makes everything else last. When we put God first, he makes everything else last. I want to just spend the rest of the time diving into that, okay? Just a little deeper into that and see what it means. And, and here's your first point. When we put God first, he orders our priorities, so we're going to do a little, I love play on words you like that, keep you um, engaged, right? So when I say that when we put God first, he makes everything else last, you know that last can mean two different things. Last can mean order of priority, which is what we're going to talk about first. And then last can also mean how long does something actually last? And we'll talk about that next. But when we put God first, he makes everything else last. He orders our priorities. And I hate to say the word priority because immediately... You either have the right priority or you have the wrong priority, right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever talked to somebody and you just walk away going, God, like they've got it. And you start examining your life and looking at your priorities and thinking, man, I'm just missing it. And I don't even know where to start. My, my priorities are all out of whack. So I don't mean to say that and make you feel bad. I don't, I don't like heap guilt, shame, whatever on you. But I do want to make this point that our spending habits say a lot about us. But what they say about us the most is this. They tell us what we value the most. If we were honest, if we um, could just examine our spending habits, we would suddenly know what everybody in the room values, right? And we would know what everybody values the most. Giving can seem, this is probably too honest, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. <laughs> Giving can seem a little bit boring, especially if you're just beginning to give. It can seem just a tad bit boring. Like, I'm going to use a crazy example that no one's ever faced in their life, but you'll get the idea. When we're trying to order our priorities and it comes to giving, sometimes we ask ourselves questions like this. Would I rather have a brand new car or help the church support a brand new missionary? A boring car, missionary, car, right? It's crazy how like giving can seem a little bit mundane, a little bit boring. And most of us would pick the car and here's what else we would do. We would pick the car and then we would assume that someday we would mature into those believers who are boring and would pick the missionary. I've got good news for you. I want to show you something in Psalm 37, 4. I love this. So much freedom here. The psalmist writes this. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. A lot of you have heard this verse all your life. If you've been to Sunday school, we're raised in church. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But what I want you to see is that, man, this will set some of you, some of you free. It's not your job 
to get your priorities right. It's not your job to set your priorities. And I know that goes totally against things you've heard before, like get your priorities straight. Your job is simply, you ready? To get the first priority right. Psalm 37, 4 says that if you will delight yourself in the Lord, if you will put God first, who's going to give you the desires of your heart? He will, right? If I delight myself in the Lord first, then He will give me the desires of your heart. Now, let me explain what, I'm, what I think that verse is saying, because some of you are like, oh, dude, I will delight myself in the Lord if He will give me everything I want. Right? Win, win, right? Oh, Lord, I, I delight in you. Where's the car? Where's the car? Where is the car? Right? You get that Duke Energy Power Bill. Like, oh, I need to put that over here for a second. I delight in you. I delight in you. I delight in you. Where's the money? Where's the money? Where's the money? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you will put me first, if you will delight in me, then I will actually give you the desires that you will have in your heart. You will, it's a value statement. Things start to shift a little bit. We begin to value God, and that changes the way that we see the other things. The good news is for people like me and for people like you, I don't have to worry and fret about getting all my priorities right. Wait, now, am I valuing this more than that? And should I? And do I have like three in the slot where seven should be? And let's shift this around and put this up here. What he's saying is if you'll just delight in me first, I will order your priorities. If I delight in God first, he will make sure that I am valuing Wendy in the right priority. Because if I'm not, he will do what? He'll kick me in the butt, right? I don't know how you're thinking of it, but that's how I think of it. He will make sure that he gets my life in the right order of priority. And I love that about God. He just asks you, get the first one right, and then he defines the priorities of your heart. So when we put God first, he makes everything else last. Our value of Jesus and what our cash can do in his kingdom makes the value of everything else begin to fade. The other thing that I love about Jesus is that he doesn't devalue other things. He doesn't say, well, I'm worth it, but all the other stuff is garbage. He says, yeah, there's value in that, but value me more. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then you'll never want anything else. Is that what it says? It says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all you'll want to do is just be at church 24-7 and pray. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be taken away from you and you'll never have them because you'll be a monk. No, added to you. So he's not like standing up in heaven saying, hey, look, just give me all your money. Just put me first and you won't need anything else. He says, no, put me first. And one, I'll begin to change what your heart desires. And two, I'll even add the other things that you're so worried about to you. When we put God first, he makes everything else last. He orders our priorities. And then here's the second thing that he does. He maintains our provisions. So when we put God first, he can make everything else last. And now we're talking about duration. First, we're talking about priorities. And now we're talking about duration, right? He can actually make things last longer. So God makes everything last longer. I love this in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
I know you think I'm brilliant, but I memorized it last night. Deuteronomy chapter 29. He's talking to his children. He says something amazing. Deuteronomy 29 verse 5. He says, during the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out nor did the sandals on your feet. Now, I don't know who in your family does the shopping for clothes. Um, I know a lot of you have new, new, newborns. It's amazing how much money you have to spend on children's shoes. Like you drop $35, $40, or almost as much as like an adult's. The difference is that my foot's not growing anymore. I can wear the same size for a long time. You go spend $40, $45 on your kid's shoes, and six months later, what are you doing? Buy them again, right? I mean, it's crazy. Man, I don't know, if you're, in, if you're in charge of buying the clothes for your family, what would it be like if you found out that for 40 years you didn't have to do that? <laughs> and you're like, now I can breathe, right? <laughs> now I can breathe. God made their provisions last. That blows my mind. For 40 years in the desert, they never had to buy new clothes. They never had to buy new shoes. Because what they had, God made it last. And what I love about that is that he doesn't do it because we're good, right? It says there at the end of verse 6, I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. That's why he does it. Oh, I did it because you're so awesome, and I did it because you took a step of faith. Because if you read the story about his people in the desert, um, they were not always on their A game, were they? Complaining, whining. This is about the character of God. He's able to make things last. And we put him first. We're trusting him. Um, Man, some of you have had cars, and you have driven those cars way longer than cars should be driven, right? You have driven um, those cars so long that you have now passed those cars along to your children. And Will and Parker are thrilled to be driving the 2001 Ford Taurus with deer dents on the whole left side of the car. Some of you have driven cars well into the 250, 300,000 mile range. And when people say to you, how'd you get your car to go that far? You're like, dude, I don't know, man. I just trust God. I, I, I put him first. I give him, I, I, I pay my, my tithes, my offerings. I give to him what's his. And he's just like, makes my car last. Some of you have things in your house. And, and listen, part of it is that he makes it last. The other part is, that, and we'll get to this in a minute, is that he makes our contentment of those things last. Because he changes what we value. He, he orders our priorities. He maintains our provisions. And here's your third point. Because I think God understood, and I love this about God. God understands us. He knows that when we talk about money, everybody kind of, you know, like you kind of get a little tight. Everybody's reaching back, grabbing their wallet. You know, you're holding on to your purse. Um, you're holding your phone closely to you so nobody can use it for any kind of Apple Pay here at the church, right? I get it. We all get a little bit weird about it. And so God understood that when he talks to us about money, we're going to be like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. And I want you to see the goodness of your father. The goodness of God is he could, if he wanted to, <laughs> this would be awesome on a Sunday. He could grab you by your feet and he could flip you upside down and he could shake you until all your money comes out of your pockets. And then he could just scoop all that up and drop it over here in the offering containers. 
And he would turn you back over and he'd go, I think there's more in you. I knew it was a quarter. Pick it up, put it in there, right? And he'd, be, he'd set you down. He'd be like, oh, I'm so glad he didn't find that secret compartment where I have the 100. He, what, what, what'd you say? $100 bill. In, yeah, he could do that. You get that, right? He could do that. And he doesn't. What he does instead is he says this. Listen, if you'll put me first, I'll make everything last. If you'll give to me first, I'll make everything else you own last. And you still won't want to do it. And I understand that. This is God talking. And so he says, because of that, I'm going to give you the opportunity to test me. Point three says this. We put God first by putting God to the test. All those times that you've woken up and said, man, if I could just be God for a day. If I could just be God for a day, right? We love that kind of power. You're never going to be God for a day. But you know what he does say? He says, I'm giving you permission I'm giving you permission to test me. Malachi 3.10, man, if you grew up in church, you've heard this. You're like, I knew this is where he was going. Nah, you don't know where I'm going, so hang with me, right? Malachi 3.10 says to test God in this, in what? In giving. Test him. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and release a blessing on you so great you can't contain it. He says, test me in this. I don't know if you like, um, like money back guarantees. I mean, obviously, I tried to get one, but on that 31st day, Colton Sheets was like, nope, not going to happen, right? I mean, you can't lose with God. He says, test me. Try it out. See if this won't happen. We could tell stories all day long. I love to tell stories about how God's been faithful in our lives and giving. I love to tell the story about how the first house that Winnie and I ever bought, which, by the way, was a very small house that was not like, you know, a humongous million-dollar mansion. It was just a, it was a house that we needed. And we bought that house the exact same summer that neither one of us had a, made, made a, made, had a paycheck. She was interning, and I was in seminary. To this day, if you asked us, we'd be like, I can't tell you. I have no idea. No money came in the mail. There were no big checks. Our parents didn't give us gifts. I have no clue. As God is my witness, I have no idea how that happened. But I know that we wrote the check from our account and we bought a house. And when we didn't make money that summer, we still gave to God. Test him. Test him. Test him and see. And I'm just, that's just one story. I mean, all of you, many in this room could tell stories like that. Maybe we should have a Sunday when we do that. I would love to hear those stories. God says, test me in this. What he's saying is this. Honor me first with your cash, and you'll see that I can do more with your less. And the truth of the matter is that many of us will not take that first step. We don't give to God what is his portion first. And instead, we use it on ourselves. Let me just make sure you understand what tithe means. Because I know um, a lot of people argue and they'll debate this kind of stuff, which I think is funny because generous hearts never debate gifts, right? (laughs) Well, how much should we really give? Tithe means 10%. Does God really mean 10%? Does does that pre-tax, post-tax? How exactly is that? What I want to say is if you're wrestling over those issues, you've not even understood the heart of God as a giver. Because generosity does not find ways and loopholes out. Generosity looks for ways in. And what's most important about the word tithe is that it's about the first 10%. I personally don't get hung up on percentages, but I'll go 
all day long talking to you about a phrase in the Bible called first fruits. And first fruits simply means this, that back in that agricultural era, whatever you, whatever you reap and harvested first, the first of that was given to the Lord. And why is it so important that what we give to God, we give to him first? It's, I mean, it's obvious, right? Because if you give it first, you have to have faith to see whether or not God will come through. Most of us, what we do instead is we say to God, look, if I have anything left over, I'll give it. What happens? We never have anything left over, right? Well, you watch the video. <laughs> Indiana Jones like, if I have anything left over, I'll give it. There's nothing left over. You're hanging by a strap to the end of your month. There's no more money. He says, trust me in this. Test me in this. Give to me first and see if I will not throw open the floodgates God says that if we don't do that and again I'm talking to believers here if you're not following Jesus like you totally off the hook here you just get to listen although I will say you can learn something about generosity I think God honors generous hearts but if you're a believer here and you're not giving to God first the Bible says in that same chapter of Malachi that what we're doing is robbing God and I'm going to tell a story that I tell every time I talk about finances because it was such an impactful moment for me and if you've heard this before, sorry for the repeat, but hang in there. I never quite understood the concept of us robbing God because he's God until I got robbed. And here's how it happened. I was doing web design, helping somebody out that had contracted with a, a group down in Florida to do like just some stuff for their website, some, you know, SEO stuff, search engine optimization. And so they, he, that person subbed me out to do some of the work as well. So we had a contract and the, the doctor's office was gonna pay him so much money and he was gonna pay me so much money a month to do it. And so for the, we had a one year contract. The first two months was great because I got my check, but I never got another check. So, you know, at the end of that year, I mean, it was thousands of dollars and you know, we're on the road speaking and it would have been awesome to have the money. And I, I finally called him, he's a, he's a Christian brother. And I just said like, are they not paying you either? And he said, no, I'm, they've been paying me. It's like, that's cool. Um, you, can you send me some money? So I don't have it. Well, what do you mean you don't have? And here's what I said to him. What do you mean you don't have my money? He said, I, I needed it. I had to use it. Like we had bills to pay. And I used it. And, and I'm sorry. See, uh, so I said, okay, I'm just making sure I understand. Like you used my money that I would have used to feed my children to do what you want to do with your family? He said, I'm sorry, yes, and I don't have it now to give to you. And what I realized is that's a lot like giving to God first or not giving to God first. Because what God says is, look, I'm giving you my money. And I'm asking you to return to me first, a portion of it. It's not your portion nor my portion, it's his money. And when we take his money and we use it on everything else but him, I suddenly realized when I was on the phone with that brother that that's how God must feel because we've taken his money and squandered it everywhere else and not given to him what is his. And that's why Malachi said, you, you know, God said, you're robbing me in the area of offerings because you're not giving to me first. Now look, debate all day long if you want to about percentages. I don't really care. But I'm going to challenge you today to test God by putting him first. Just put them first. 
If it's the first $5 you spend a month, because that's what you've got to give, give it to God. If you've got more than that, God's blessed you. If it's the first $100 of the month, give it to God. In case you think that for some reason this is like, you know, some plan on my part to raise money for a building, let me just assure you of this, that from the eldership down at this church, we have believed from day one that if God's people would simply give to God first, there would never be a need for fundraisers and there would never be a need for capital campaigns. So this is not about you giving more so we can do other stuff. This is just scriptural principles. That a lot of times the reason that we're squeezed in the air of our finances is because we've not put God first. And when we put him first, what can he do? He can make everything else last.